Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have the privilege of welcoming Jeff Johnson. Jeff, welcome to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a privilege to be on your show. Yes, sir. It's it's wonderful to be able to chat with you, and and uh, I enjoy. Uh, I've enjoyed seeing some of the books that you've published, and look forward to reading them more, and hopefully, Lord willing, talking to the authors. So uh, maybe you want to just tell us a little bit about your life, your marriage, ministry, uh, maybe about Free Grace Press, what you're working on ministry wise, and those types of things. Yeah, my, well, I'm minister here in Conway. Uh, Grace Bible Church in Conway, Arkansas. It's right in the middle of the state. I've been pastoring going on t- uh, uh, 20 years. In fact, uh, next year we'll be celebrating 20 years. Our church is 20 years old. It started in my living room. Uh, now I'm in my 40s. I'm getting old and looking back and been pastoring for 20 years at the same church. So that's been great. And uh, also I own a publishing company, Free Grace Press. Appreciate you asking about that. Uh, but we publish different books, mainly from a Reformed Baptist perspective. Uh, but we have 20 titles, 22 titles uh, already published, and we have five or six coming out in 2019. Uh, so we're really excited about the future books we're releasing. And then also, uh, I'm overseeing a seminary here in the state of Arkansas, a Grace Bible Theological Seminary. Uh, we're just at June, in the middle of June, we'll be entering into our new uh, facility. Um, so we're really excited about that. So a lot going on in Arkansas. Wow, you definitely, uh, you definitely do stay busy. Um, wow, that, that's that's a lot going on. Well, Jeff, can you tell us about about your book, The Pursuit of Glory, why you wrote it, and how you hope it's received? Yeah, I wrote The Pursuit of Glory because I've done a lot of counseling over the years. And I've been a pastor for 20 years, like I've said, but also uh, at one time I worked as a professional counselor. And so I've, I've counseled hundreds of hundreds of people, bringing them into my office. I've had marriage counseling. Of course, as a pastor, you're counseling all the time. And so I wanted to have a resource to give people... Uh, that really dealt with the heart of people's problems. Um, you know, a lot of people deal with anxiety or depression, or a lot of emotional problems. And I really wanted to have a book, a resource that I could give them uh, that that could help not, uh, help the person kind of see what the problem is, but not just unreal, um, uh, reveal the problem, but really look at the answer. And so it's kind of a book that I give out. Now I give out to everybody I counsel. So it's, it's a great book, but you don't have to be need a problem to read the book. That's the goal is it's, it's great to give to high school students, college students. I think it would be great for just the, the average Christian in their pursuit of God, in their pursuit of sanctification, in their pursuit of holiness. And so I, I think it's just a, a book that would be helpful to just about any Christian who wants to grow in the knowledge of the Lord, and especially if they're dealing with any type of emotional problem. Mm. Well, I love that. I, I love that you are writing for people in your own church to help uh, pe- the people of God. I think those are the best books, and uh, I would just encourage you to keep doing it. So, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Um, can you briefly please define the glory of God for us? Yeah, that's the key of everything. Is is the name of the book and it's the first chapter because um, we're going to live for something. We're going to seek our happiness in something, and whatever that is, is something that we find glorious something that we deem 
has to be uh, worth something. And the word glory is just another way of saying value. And when we're talking about the glory of God, we're looking at the value or the worth of God. The Hebrew word for glory is the word we get weight or the weightiness of God. And we have to understand and, um, the way to think about the value of something. You think of something that lasts a long time. Um, vanity is the opposite of, of glory. And vanity means nothing or emptiness. When we think about what is a handful of air worth, well, it's, it's empty. There's, it doesn't have any weight to it. It's, it's superficial. And God, on the other hand, is everlasting. And he's not something that's here one day and gone the next. He's something that's been here forever and he'll never cease to exist. And, and not on top of the fact that he's eternal, but he's altogether beautiful. He's altogether majestic. So God is the ultimate value. There's nothing more valuable than God himself. And so God is glory. God is the is the substance of what is glorious. And we need to know that if we're going to determine what we're going to live for and what we're going to appreciate, what we're going to love, what we're going to treasure. Uh, we don't. The problem is so many people, they treasure the wrong things or they put something of less value above something of more value. And when you do that, your perspective is wrong. Uh, your priorities are wrong. And when your priorities are wrong, man, it just begins to affect every aspect of your life. So we got to get our priorities placed back and we got to start with the glory of God. So we have to have a right understanding of the glory of God in order to rightly order ourselves before the face of God. That's exactly right. We need to know who God is. That's the first priority of any type of counseling and any type of living is being reminded of who God is. It's no wonder then that R.C. Sproul said it's so important for us to have a, a, an accurate and a biblical understanding of, of uh, the doctrine of God. That's exactly right, because the world is always putting things in our face every day. You know, if it's a new movie out, a new late, a new model of a vehicle. You know, I, I like Audis as a vehicle, and I can't, I can't see one pass me by. by oh, look at that Audi, you know. And I, I mean, they're, they're nice vehicles. Vehicle. I used to own one, and so uh, I love them. But that's it's easy to begin to think, hey, I got to get me an Audi. I got to get the, a new car, a new truck, or I have to get some new clothes, a, a new house. You know, it's just easy for us to be sucked into materialism very quickly because we see the glory of that. But the Bible says the glory of this world is vanity; it's superficial. But we're 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 duped in thinking that no, I have to have that. All the while, we forget to look at God. And, and we're not, our eyes are not on God. They're going to be on something else. Mm -hmm. So we got to get our eyes back on God. And we have to pursue that. And that's why it's called the pursuit of glory is because we have to pursue glory. It's not wrong to pursue glory. It just needs to be real glory. Pursue where glory is really found. So pursue God. And God must be our glory. Because the reason I want a new Audi is because it makes me feel like I'm worth a million bucks. It makes me feel good about myself. If I have things that I love that I think other people love, then it makes me feel good. And therefore, my physical wealth becomes my glory. But the Bible really says that will never satisfy us because it's vanity. And so we need to remember that only God provides us real substantial glory. And only God can provide us value to ourselves. If I can say God belongs to me, it belongs to God. That's so. That's very well said. Why is it so essential that Christians find true happiness and joy in the glory of God? Because that's only where it's found. You you can look for happiness in a lot of places. In fact, we're, we cannot help but look for happiness. You're going to look for happiness somewhere, and you can't turn that switch off. It's not like you say, hey, I just don't want to be happy anymore. People say, hey, I just want to be depressed. I want to be sad. Even that, that's an attempt to find happiness through the back door. So God's made us to be happy, and we're going to seek happiness somewhere. So where is it going to be found? That's the question. And atheists understand, 
and that happiness is not found at all. I mean, they, they really, there's no God. Then materialism, hedonism, worldly, worldliness, um, that becomes all that we have. But here's the problem. We're dying, and everything of this world's fading away, and it's not lasting. And so what happens, you, we get one experience, and it gives us a taste of happiness for a moment, but then it leaves us the next moment. Then we're off chasing the next moment of happiness, and all it does is it creates this greater longing that we're really never satisfied, and the things of this world are insatiable. I mean, we can never have enough. The eye is never satisfied with seeing, the Bible tells us, you know. So uh, I like to travel. A lot of people like to travel the world, but it dawned on me after I've gone to all of these countries that I've been to, there's still another country I haven't been. There's still another place I still want to see. And it's, the world is too big for me to be able to see everything. I can't, I can't get enough to be happy in sightseeing and traveling. And that's why we have to find happiness in the only place that happiness can be found. And it's not found in ourselves. Uh, we know that from the day that we were born. We come out of the womb crying. <laughs> we come out searching. Look, because we're not, you know, people say, hey, just be happy. Just be happy. Well, that, that doesn't make sense. Or find happiness within. That also doesn't make sense. You tell someone, hey, I want you to find happiness within yourself. But you tell that person who's about to be deserted on an island or be put into a dark prison hole where there's no light and there's nothing to look forward to. And that person's going to be locked away, isolated, alone, by himself for the rest of his life and you tell him hey just find happiness within that person's going to look at you and say you're an idiot uh, that's impossible uh, loneliness just me myself and I I'm miserable I, I'm not sufficient to be happy by myself I'm not good enough for myself and God made us that reason that way for a reason he made us dependent he made us needy he made us where we are not self-sufficient only God is happy in himself only God is self-sufficient we are dependent beings and as long as we're dependent beings we can can't find happiness in of in, in and of ourselves. So we have to find it somewhere outside of ourselves. It can't be found in the world because the world's passing away. Therefore, it can only be found in a, a permanent, eternal God. That's really well said, Jeff. Um, why is it so essential that Christians find their purpose in life rooted in their identity in Christ alone and not in their work, their hobbies, their ministry, even their marriages or, or something else? I'm sure we could go on and on with that. That's right. Yeah, I mean, God's made us to work and uh, we find our identity a lot of times in what we do, you know, I'm a pastor. Some people say, well, I'm a doctor, I'm a teacher, I'm a nurse, I'm this or that. And they say that, or what do you do? We ask those questions because it identifies not just what we do, but in some sense, who we are. Well, I'm a doctor, I'm a pastor, and, and I find my somewhat my worth in what I accomplish. And God's made us that way because if you do nothing all day and waste your time, you think, well, I'm just going to have fun and do nothing all day. That might be fun for a week, but week after week after week, month after month after month of accomplishing nothing, if you never accomplish anything, you feel worthless, useless, pointless. Like, why am I even here? God's made us to accomplish something and to do something. And that's why we all want to be great. We want to accomplish something great. I want to, if I could cure cancer, man, then I, my life would have meaning and purpose. Or if I could help someone, I'd have meaning and purpose. If I could do something important, then that means I'm important. Well, that's true. However, let's say you're a doctor and you can keep people alive. Well, that that's great. That mean that's better than being a murderer. That's better than being someone who's lazy and does nothing. You're actually helping and contributing to society, and that gives you a measure of value. But here's the problem. Everybody that you cure is eventually going to die. And so all that we can do in this world is patch up a broken world and limp it along a little bit longer. And everything that we do outside of doing it for the Lord is going to vanish away. It's going to 
forgotten. However, the Lord puts it this way. If we give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, that good deed, though no one knows about, is remembered by the Lord. And that good deed has an eternal significance. And God's going to remember it forever. And there's going to be a, a treasure in heaven for that. And that treasure never passes away. And all of a sudden, if we can work for the Lord and do what we do, and no matter what we do, if I'm sweeping the floor, if I'm sweeping it unto the Lord, then all of a sudden, that temporal work that I'm doing at the house brings about an eternal significance. And once my life has eternal significance, then that means what I am has real meaning and purpose. And what I'm doing is not going to be uh, swept away a hundred years after I'm dead and gone. What I'm doing will have an eternal, I mean, it's amazing, eternal significance. What else could we ask for if we're a housewife or for a king of a country? It doesn't matter what we do in this life. As long as we work for the king of kings, then all of a sudden, the smallest work, if I'm a janitor for the kingdom of heaven, all of a sudden, I'm a janitor of an eternal kingdom. <laughs> and then there's eternal payment for my work. That is glorious. And that gives me meaning. And that gives me purpose. You brought to mind something that happened yesterday. I called I called and ordered pizza and the number wasn't uh, wasn't working. Uh, turns yeah. I had to go I had to go to the pizza place, which is three minutes from my house. And not to just tell them that their phone wasn't working, but to order a pizza. And the guy really appreciated me telling me, he's like, no, the, the phone is working or whatever. And I'm like, call it, uh, put it on speaker. Um, and your phone's not working, see? And he reset his phone and he really appreciated that. Yeah. Well, anyway, I came back 15 minutes later after the pizza was done, uh, did, had to do some errands. And um, he said, thank you so much for telling me about his phone um, not working. And I said, you know, we need businesses like yours and we need guys like you working. And he looked at me kind of funny. <laughs> he really didn't understand uh, why I said that, but why I said it was exactly what you're saying. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, we need to work. We need to, we need to, we need to watch out for one another too. We need to watch out for businesses that we appreciate. You know, their phone might not be working or, or something like that. And we should tell them, you know, uh, hey, your phone's not working. You know, obviously you don't have the drive there if you don't want to or anything like that. You know, um, I, I really wanted the pizza though. So I, I, I was already there. I, I told him, but uh, yeah. you might uh, be listening to this and feel like your work doesn't have any value or any purpose. And, you know, that guy certainly, I don't think he understood he looked at me like he didn't understand why the heck I said that but well, you know we, we that's could, the, yeah. yeah that's the beauty of this it's not like what, what we're saying is like okay you need to be a missionary to Africa to work for the kingdom of God you just need to do what you do whatever that is if it's a commendable uh, career or a commendable job that God sanctions if, if it's a it's a pizza delivery guy or a pizza maker you know whatever it is it's, it's an honorable job but you can do that job if you're doing it to the Lord with doing it for God's glory then all of a sudden whatever job you have uh, it takes on a higher significance and a higher reward that really you're not doing it for your your to your temporary boss, your your employer, you're doing it to the Lord. And you recognize that you're a slave and you're a worker to God himself and that you're under his command. And ultimately, he's the one who controls your life and how much money you make and how much money you don't make. You're ultimately serving him. And you, and, and that all of a sudden says, I'm a child of the king. I'm a, I'm a worker to the king of kings. All, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter what you do in this world. If, you, if you're working for God, uh, man, it, it does bring meaning and purpose and significance to the smallest task. 
task that we do. Amen. On page 50, you, you say that genuine freedom is to obey God, and we must enjoy and delight in obeying God. So so why is that so important for Christians to know so that they can have genuine freedom? Yeah, I mean, everything my book talks about, all these chapters, is the, is the thing, the common thing about all the chapters is that God has made us in His image, and by making us in His image, He put certain longings or desires in our heart. One, He put the desire to know glory, or to have glory. I mean, we, we all all want to be glorious. I mean, that's why we want to be famous. But we shouldn't seek worldly fame because there's not, nothing eternal in that. So we're seeking the glory that comes from God. And the one day the Lord said, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. Man, that's real glory. Well, in this chapter, there's another longing that we have in our heart, and that's freedom. We don't want to be slaves. We want to be free. And to be really free, we need to not just do what we want to do, but we need to we do what we enjoy. And only when we really enjoy what we do are we free. But here's the thing, sin promises us happiness, but it delivers misery. It delivers bondage and slavery. You cannot serve sin and, and be free because ultimately sin makes us miserable. It, it, makes, it gives us a, a burst of happiness or joy or pleasure for the moment, but the long-term, long-term effects is nothing but sadness, misery, and despair. And, and, and then it brings us into bondage where we're enslaved to that. Kind of like drugs. You, know, you're, you have to have it, but you know all along that it's just going to get you through the next 10 minutes, but the next uh, 10 hours is going to be miserable. Well, if we want to be free, then we're going to have happiness and freedom. And we only can do that by obeying God, because sin is slavery. That means obedience is freedom. Um, and it's only when it, 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 we're obeying out of just like, I've got to do it and I hate it, then we're not free. But it's only when God gives us a new heart, regenerates our hearts, gives us force, his love within us, that we have new priorities. When we see the glory of God, if you would, and he said, man, this is wonderful. And we run after the glory of God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. I mean, we're running after God, and then we're obtaining God. That's when we're free. And so the law is there to tell us we're bondage and sin, sin bondage and uh, where bondage is. So obedience is the key to freedom. But the only way to be able to obey God is to have a regenerated heart, a new heart, and to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. So that chapter, I really talk about sanctification. The key of sanctification is walking in the Spirit and um, seeking to obey the law uh, um, with, a, with a love for God. That's uh, really well said. Really well said. What is the critical difference between love and lust? Yeah, well, one is that which God gives. The other one is what we have on our own. And man has, the problem is that man has identified lust as love. And they, it's a cheap counterfeit, and it gets passed off as the real thing. People use the word love, but they don't really mean love like the Bible defines love. Uh, they use the word love, but what they're really talking about is lust. And it's a counterfeit because they're very similar. Love and lust is both an emotion. They're both passionate, and they both want to be near something. If I love God, I want to be near God. If I love, or if I lust after a hamburger, and a lust is just a strong craving, a strong passion. So if I'm lusting after a hamburger, I'm really hungry, I want this hamburger. Well, I, I'm, it's a strong emotion, it's a craving, I want to be near the hamburger, I want the hamburger. And so a lot of people say, hey, I've fallen in love, and they see this beautiful girl, and they think they're in love. I just got to have this girl, you know? Uh, I can't quit thinking about this girl. Well, it, what makes that any different than someone who's hungry that can't think, quit thinking about food? Uh, you may say, you may use the word love, and you may even sacrifice. You know, I'll give eight, ten bucks for a good hamburger, maybe even 15 bucks for a good hamburger, if I'm really hungry and if it's good enough. So that's a sacrifice. 
I'm willing to sacrifice. I'll open the car doors for this girl. I'll take her out to eat. I'll spend money on her. I'll do all these things. But in the end, the difference between love and lust is the motive. Lust is selfish. Um, the goal of the hamburger, wanting the hamburger, is not what's in the best interest of the hamburger. Ultimately, the goal is my own best interest. I'm hungry, and that hamburger will satisfy me. I, you know, I'm in love. This girl will satisfy me. She makes me happy to have her near me. I feel better about myself. And so it's ultimately a lot of people getting married and they think they're in love, but it's nothing more than lust. But God provides us love. And what real love is, is putting someone's happiness and well-being above your own self. And so this is this is the beauty of love. It is it's not selfish. It does not seek its own. Well, lust does seek its own. Why is love so important to relationships? Uh, because l- lust or selfishness is the very thing that kills them. Mm. Uh, it, I mean, the worst thing is, I do a lot of marriage counseling, and it all comes down to this, that people are selfish. I want it my way, or I'm using you for my own benefit. And that type of behavior destroys marriages. And that's why people get divorced. Um, and, and, you know, and love uh, is the... Is the is the, it's like a magnet. It's, if you want a relationship, you have to be pulled to one another. And the only way to really be pulled without having knives in your hands where you're going to hurt each other is when you when you love one another. And, and ultimately, you have to love God. And the love that we have, um, you have to have the love that you need to have to love others. You have to have that from God. For God is love. And God's the complete giver. He gives without seeking anything in return. He's not exploiting us. He's, he's seeking to bestow nothing but his favor and his goodwill and his, and his gifts upon us. And it's that love that we receive from him that gives us the ability to love others. That's well said. How is truth only found in Christ alone? Well, Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the truth. And he, he identifies himself as being uh, the truth. And like you said, there's another longing that we all want. We all want to know basically two things. Who is God and who am I? And uh, we cannot know who God is and we truly can't know who we are. The truth of ourselves without Christ. Now, one, because of sin. Sin makes me feel guilty. And because of this guilt, I want to push the knowledge of God away. I want to suppress the knowledge of God because of my sin. When I think of God, I think of my sin. And I know I don't measure up. I know I'm under the condemnation of God. I'm, a, I'm aware that I'm a fallen creature, and therefore I can't think of God very long without being upset. That's why atheists reject God. They suppress the knowledge of God. That's why uh, people create all these false religions and, and fall into error and lies is because of their own simple guilty conscience. And so our guilty conscience causes us to press and suppress the knowledge of God, but also makes us excuse our guilt, and we end up creating a false impression of ourselves, and we don't even think we're as bad as we are. And we excuse ourselves to the point that we make ourselves good when the Bible tells us in reality we're evil. And we don't want to accept the fact that we're evil. So we really don't know the truth about God and we don't know the truth about ourselves. Therefore, we need Jesus Christ who not only reveals the truth in his words and his life, but through a relationship with Jesus Christ and through the forgiveness he offers us, we can know God and we can accept a just God. All of a sudden, we can, as, as sinners, we can love a holy God because we can have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And so we're willing to receive that knowledge of the, of the true nature of God through Jesus Christ. And through the forgiveness that he offers, we can bow down and say, I know that I'm a wicked sinner. I can accept who I am and I can 
I can humble myself because Jesus is offering me forgiveness. And then I can accept the Holy, Holy God as well. So through Jesus Christ, we can know the two things that we want to know more than anything else, and that's God and ourselves. Amen. I, I have nothing to add to that. That's, that's well said. What are You were just talking about consciences, um, the conscience. Yeah. There's some wrong ways Christians try to clean up our conscience. Oh, man, no, we're good at it. I mean, there's so many wrong ways. One is uh, trying to compensate for what we've done wrong by doing something good. Um we do that all the time, you know. I, I, I said something wrong to my wife, and now I just got to be kind to her for a while. But that's the problem. It doesn't work because if we're kind to our wives after we were mean to her, well, we should have been kind the whole time. And being kind doesn't nullify or undo the meanness. Um, so that doesn't really work. It just it's just a way of making ourselves feel better. We also find people who are worse than we are. You know, we can point out the Adolf Hitlers of the world to say, hey, at least I'm not that person. At least I'm not like my neighbor. And so we, we excuse our own wickedness by finding people who are more wicked than we are. We go to church or have a little bit of religion. You know, there's just so many ways that people try to move over the conscience. But I really believe this in all my years of counseling. A guilty conscience is the is the heart of people's problems. Mm, that's cool where they're at there. Definitely. I agree. What are some right ways to clean up our consciences? Oh, well, there's only one way, and that's repentance, acknowledgement of our sins, and quit covering it up, but exposing our sins to, to the one that we are doing. And so I can't just, you know, tell you, I can't tell the priest what I've done wrong when I didn't do anything wrong to the priest. I got to go to the person that I've offended. And that's ultimately God. And we have to take our sins to God and just, and, and not hide them. He covers them. His sins shall not prosper, the Bible says. So the only way to have a clean conscience is go to God and repent and, and completely be 100% honest and quit hiding or excusing our sins. And, and it means to be humbling ourselves before the living God. And then the second process is believing the promise of the gospel, that Jesus has offered us forgiveness. And it's only when we trust his righteousness and, and acknowledge our sins and say, my only hope is in him, and trust that his promises is that those sins that I've committed, all of them, will be forgiven. And um, that, that's the only way to have a clean conscience. And as Christians, we have to repent regularly, you know, but we got that promise that if we confess our sins, that he is just and faithful to forgive us of all unrighteousness. So we live off repentance. You talked about premarital counseling and, and marriage counseling as a whole. Uh, something I, I told guys when I preach at men's retreats is what your wife wants to hear the most is a specific apology. In other words, she wants to hear how you specifically are repenting. That's right. And they're like, no, no, that's that's not right. That's not right. I'm like, go ask your wife. Because um, I can guarantee you what you, that's what your wife wants. She wants to know exactly. She wants to know what you did, why you did it, and what you're going to do about it. That's exactly right. You're, you're, you're exactly right because when you go to God you say you know you don't say hey if I did this or I'm sorry for being the jerk I'm sorry for being harsh you know what I mean that you can say that but you need to go more than that I'm sorry for saying these words I'm sorry for slamming the door in your face I'm sorry you know because by by saying what you've done you're acknowledging it and you're taking ownership for it and then you have to admit that you knew better you know it's not just I did this I knew better time and I have no excuse for doing it um, and so re real repentance is very difficult and that's why I think God has to grant it. God has to help us re repent because um, we're good at excusing our sins not owning up to them Amen brother for Christians what are some of the key spiritual issues that lead to holiness well the main
main thing is walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. I believe in what they call the Puritans call the third use of the law, the law of the Ten Commandments is there to, to guide us, to tell us what not to do, what to do. We need that. We need to know um, what, how to live our lives. But I also don't believe the Christian can obey the law in his flesh. Uh, but God has given us everything we need to obey the Lord, and that's through the love of God that's poured out within us, and that's through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the best thing that we can do if we want to live a holy life is to walk in the Spirit. And what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What it means to be spiritually minded. And I've learned that it's easy to be carnally minded or worldly minded. I mean, all you have to do to be carnally minded is just live your life and don't pray and don't read the Bible, don't think about the things of God. What you're going to be thinking about is work and your problems, your troubles, your bills and life and, you know, everything else under the sun. But that will hinder you from having the power, the strength, and the want to to live holy lives. So the best thing we can do is saturate ourselves with, with the knowledge of God with the things of God. We should be praying, and, and our lives should be walking in communion with the Holy Spirit, where we're, we're, you know, we're walking in step with the Spirit. We don't want to grieve the Spirit because we're in a relationship with God. And, and with walking with the Lord, um, and talking with the Lord, and, and, and listening to the to the Lord through the Scriptures, um, we, are, we are having communion with the Spirit, and with the Son, and with the Father, and, and then it's going to be harder to listen to temptation when we know the Holy Spirit is right next to us. It's when we're alone by ourselves. You know, it's like, you know, things happen in Las Vegas because there's nobody watching, right? I'm away from my family. I'm away from my friends. I'm away from the people I'm ashamed to see me act like this. And so I'm not going to be held accountable. So I'll, I'll, I'll slip up and do things. Well, we'll do the same thing. We're more prone to fall into sin. Or people will look at pornography on the computer when they don't think no one's looking. Well, how can you do that if you know the Holy Spirit is right next to you and you just got through talking to the Spirit and you're 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 completely aware of the presence of God? That will that is the best accountability partner. That's the best uh, power that we need to live a holy life is is having that communion and fellowship with the Lord, pray without ceasing and constantly um, talking with the Lord. I, I think that's to me that's that's the best advice I could give anybody. That's uh. That, that is the best advice, period. Well, very well said. Why is it so important that Christians understand that Christ is our life, our joy, and our all? Yeah, that's the end of the book. And I, I got all these chapters about all these uh, soul longings. And I say soul longings because your flesh has longings. Your, your body wants to eat and see things and feel things and smell things. And God's made our bodies to crave. But we don't realize that our soul, which is the invisible part of our makeup, it, has, it also has longings. It wants glory, it wants happiness, it wants companionship, it wants, you know, truth, it, you know, it wants all these things. And so here at the end of the book, I'm trying to wrap up everything. It's like, listen, all these longings are ultimately fulfilled in one source, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's only when we seek first the kingdom of God that we're going to find the very thing that we're looking for in all these other things areas that we long for. So uh, ultimately, it's like Jesus basically said this, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be taken care of. And, and when you 
counsel someone. I, I know it can seem kind of generic. Well, just seek first the kingdom of God. But that's that's the solution. Um, that's the solution to our problems is to know where glory is found, to know where happiness is found, to know where companionship is found, and then go and actually seek the source and the solution to all these longings. Well, Jeff, there's a lot that we haven't talked about when it comes to your book, and really we could dive into these topics at, at length, um, ad nauseum, really. Um, as we wrap up this conversation and listeners go pick up your book, can you give us a few takeaways that you have about the book or even just this topic in general? No, I, actually, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and having me on on your podcast, and I appreciate the listeners that you have. And um, I, I Again, I just wrote this book. It was benefit to my own soul. Um, as I wrote it and digested, you know, 20 years of counseling ministry into one book. And I just, you know, I hope that uh, it's a refresher for, for many Christians. Everything I say is somewhat common sense, think they already know. But it's something that we need to hear over and over and over again. And so I would say that it's just it's just something, it's a message that we know it's true when we hear it. But we need to hear it again and again and again. And so if... I just appreciate you know, the opportunity to, to be able to share a little bit about the book and ultimately, more importantly, share a little bit about Jesus Christ, who's the subject of the book. Amen. Well, it's been wonderful to have you on, Jeff, and look forward to having you on again. Um, pray Christ versus blessings on your work there as you work on the front lines. We here at Servants of Grace are aiming to uh, help people in the pew and by extension help guys like you who are uh, faithful servants of Christ. So. That means a lot to me, Dave. Thank you. You're welcome, brother. You have a wonderful the rest of your day. God bless. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Servants of Grace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.